Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello friends, welcome back to In The Pink. Um, This week we are going to go for something slightly different because we are going for the best bits of the last series. There have been loads of highlights, there have been loads of great guests. I'm really grateful to all of them for their time. But we're going to try and pick out some of our favourite moments, perhaps, you know, the most insightful bits on each podcast into uh, the guest, the interviewee. And uh, it's difficult to know where to start because I have spoken to so many cool people over the last few weeks. But I think probably at a push, well, she's definitely on the podium of my favourite ones, if not my favourite on the top step. It's Kelly Holmes. She has and always will be a hero of mine. Uh, Winning double Olympic gold was quite remarkable more so when you realise, understand and learn that she was in fact battling all sorts of demons at the time. So for her to be able to compartmentalise, if you like, put those to one side and deliver on the greatest stage of them all in such a physical way is truly astonishing. So let's hear from Kelly first on that double Olympic gold win. No, I always believed I could be Olympic champion since I was 14. I do not know why it was so embedded in my head and my heart. I just always believed it. And when I won the 800 metres, the one where my head, eyes were popping out of my head, <laughs> I never expected to win the 800. I never did, even at that stage. Well, it was fairly late in the day you decided to even do it, wasn't it? Yeah, so I'd by then... So I'd had a 12-year international career. I'd won... Prior to the Olympics, 12 international medals, five at 800 and five at 15. And so what happened was, is in, the, um, in 2004, it was the first year in seven that I hadn't been injured. So everything really went well for me. Consistency of training, you know, really increased my self-esteem back, my confidence back, had a great team around me, and I was just flying in training. And it was almost come to that realisation that it's probably going to be my last Olympics, it was my third anyway, um, that I was in the shape of my life. And if I came back for two medals, any colour, what a great end to a year. And I really believe I could medal at the Games because my 
time suggested it mm. and I was really really confident in my ability and you'd meddled so in Sydney I'd meddled in S- Sydney yeah. 800 metres I'd gone fourth in 96 running with a stress fracture mm. oh, yeah. you know so I'd done loads of things so I always always knew I could do it but it was that real confirmation that year that mm. it's all going really well I can only mess it up really and obviously my body could have but my team were brilliant and uh, so when I did the 800 when I crossed the line, I'll tell you what, because I, I play it, I do motivational speaking now on stage, and I always play this because everyone loves the little montage, don't they? And it is that thing where I literally won by thickness of, let's say somebody's wearing a shirt or T-shirt, 0.05 of a second separated the first four of us. That's how, how close it was. But that side of a win is all right, isn't it? Because when you come fourth and you lose by that much, <laughs> it <can> sucks. <laughs> and I've come fourth at that, uh, one of the Olympics before by uh, less than a tenth of a second. I mean, it's crazy. That's you like know? Formula One margins. Yeah. I mean, it's just minuscule, isn't yeah. it? Just that bit. is a difference between complete glory Olympic champion yeah. and being an also run in fourth yeah. you know so so yeah so when I crossed the line though this is the thing I crossed the line and I started to celebrate and this is what people see on my little video but then I suddenly thought to myself oh my god I couldn't have won you know it's like this thing oh and I thought I was I thought I was celebrating prematurely and I'm like putting my arms out like ah oh, you know kind of like the face is coming down thinking oh god what's happened and I'm looking on the inside of this track and the British photographer is jumping up and down like a madman he's going Kelly you've won you've won and I reacted and I won I met him three months later he said Kelly best night of my life ever also the worst didn't get one bloody photo of you and he was a British photographer you know jumping mad for his because he was so swept <laughs> away by yeah, the moment exactly oh, that's lovely but, though yeah it? so that was yeah just something that I crossed the line and I just like wow I just could not believe it because it's a moment you know that took me 20 years of dreaming that wasn't just the athletics career I dreamt of winning a gold medal mm. not that one hence why I went for the 15 for 20 years I'd always believed I could get it Okay, next up, uh, another one on my podium for this series. Again, battling it out with Kelly for the top spot is got to be Tubes. Um, Growing up with him, watching him on TV, loved him, Soccer AM, over the years. Who knew that so much was going on for him behind the scenes as well? Um, So here is Tubes talking about that crucial moment when he realised something had to give and he had to start beating his battle his addiction with alcohol i've moved back to live with mum to look after her and she's like every time i left the house she'd be like oh god what's gonna happen so she knew there was a problem yeah i think a lot of people did Mm. i wouldn't admit it and if you're an alcoholic the only person who can help you is you Mm. to say i've got a problem i need to stop but was there a catalyst for that yeah so what 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 was so the, I was, what was I was, the I was, moment when you realised you could change? So I was coming to terms with it, and I kept trying to do, like, kept trying to do it, like come off it, and uh, so I, I managed to do like three or four weeks, but then I'd split up with a girlfriend and be like, oh, fuck that, and just drink again. So anyway, I got offered to do one of these paid gigs in Manchester, and I still now when people say, oh, do you want to come and do this? And we'll give you a bit of money. I'm like, I'm so lucky. Like, it's amazing. Like, I'm like, this is the best. You know, I'm so, mm. you know. And there's always a part of you that thinks that might, those offers might dry up. Yeah. You know, you've got to take them when they're there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was yeah. like, yeah, I do that. It was a right laugh. Mm. It was some building company. And I just had to sort of muck around. And I was like, that comes quite natural to me. I'm happy days. 
<coughs> so I went and did that. And then afterwards they went, oh, do you want a beer? I was like, I'm not supposed to be drinking, not supposed to be drinking. I went, oh, do you know what, sod it. No, I'm no one, no one here, I'm not going to upset anyone, like my family or my brother or my mum. <coughs> so I was like, well, I'm going home tomorrow anyway. Because it's, so I was like, yeah. So it was a nice, hot summer's day. I just don't, you know, I don't know, whatever it was. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm not, this is really cool. Like, Everyone's like, oh, you were brilliant, really funny. And I was like, but yeah, I was like, oh, great. So then as soon as the first Cronenberg, like half of it went down, I was like, it just gave me this massive buzz. Like a feeling of like, yes. Like, do you know what I mean? It was like, it's like injecting yourself with something. I was, like I said, I've never taken drugs, but it was like, oh, wow. Like, mm. everything's brilliant. Like, you know, do you know what I mean? So then there's no, ter- I couldn't stop. I, I could not stop at one. I tried it once and it was like, I was proper gagging. Like people, you know when people say, you don't go in the pub for one, you know, they make jokes. You can't just go for one or two. Mm. I literally couldn't. I've seen my mates do it. Quicken, pint, see boys, home. And I used to look at them, even when I was young, going, how have they done that? Because mm. I couldn't do it. I'd be like, I'd be planning the next one, especially later on down the line. So anyway, pints, 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 pints. Went into Manchester. I think I told some of my mates to come up. They jumped on a train, went to Manchester. Did the classic again. Woke up the next morning in a hotel room, mini bar. Doom, doom, took it all. And they were staying up or something. So, and then that was it. You know when you're like a kid at Christmas and you, you know that your stocking's there and you're, you know, your Christmas presents done and you get so excited. I was looking, so I had a few of the vodkas from the mini bar. Then I walked into Manchester and I saw a pub and it was open. It was like half six in the morning because I was doing my usual scout around trying to get more alcohol, but all the shops were closed. And I saw a pub, a Weatherspoons. And it was open, and I've got that feeling. It's like, oh my god, it's like this is the best thing ever. And how sad's that? Mm. I was like, so I went straight in the pub. And, I was and like, you're on your own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me and my music. I used to love it. That's the actual things I miss about drinking now. Is just sitting outside, listening to music, having a few pints. But I, I can't. Do you mm. know what I mean? Mm. So anyway, I went in this pub, like, and I was like, this is amazing. Seven o'clock in the morning. I'm allowed. To, I'm not allowed to drink. No one's looking at me like weird. Like a few Cronenbergs. They're like, would you like any breakfast there? I was like, oh, absolutely not. I was like, can I have a shot, though? They were like, uh, yeah. They were like, are you the guy from... I was like, yeah. And then I was like, oh, Christ. So then I moved around to the corner. Just sat there for hours, just drinking. Probably talking nonsense to people on the phone. But anyway, next thing I knew, I was in my mum's spare room at home. I woke up, I was like... I was in Manchester. I was like, and I couldn't work it out. So I was like, oh God. So I walked downstairs, tried to put on the act like I did for years, and went, You right, Mum? She's just like that. Couldn't even look at me. I was like, Do you know what you've done today? I went, I just guessed. I went, Yeah, just you know, got the train back, you know, I was a bit tired. She was like, No. She said, I had to drag you all the way down Cobham Station uh, platform. I was like, oh, God. She was in tears. I was like... Then the the fear came in. I had the shakes. Mum's crying. I was like, this has got to stop. 
this is absolutely ridiculous. I don't even remember. I lost all my bag. Imagine my poor mum, mm. middle of the afternoon, and getting dragging the me death down. Of your father as well. You know this is I mean? like I was a massive like, you selfish yeah. bastard. I was like, I've got to stop this, and I did. That was it. And that was it. So what happened? Just said I stop. She's like, I've heard it all before. I was like, no, I'll stop. So I went to one AA meeting, and it wasn't for me. And I just figured out if I don't put that first drink to my mouth these five days that follow won't happen. So I started slowly. It was hard. Because my whole life was like, Chelsea, because I got a season ticket at Chelsea. Mm. Chelsea's drink day. I sometimes wouldn't even remember the match. So all those little triggers, like Chelsea, after the interview, the buzz came, and then the, 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 the like drink, drink, drink came. So I was like, no, no, no. And then I found the gym. So I was like, right, I need to do something. Got to get that fixed from somewhere. I need to get a buzz from yeah, somewhere. I yeah. need a buzz. So. Hmm. And was the gym enough for that? It had to be because I couldn't let my mum be like that again. No. Okay, next up on In the Pink Best Bits, it's Denise Van Outen, everyone's favourite blonde bombshell on the telly. She talks to me about her rise to fame on The Big Breakfast. Again, appointment to view television that we all grew up with. And her friendship with Johnny Vaughan. Now, you have to remember, the chemistry on screen between those two was just ridiculous. Everyone just assumed they must be a couple, surely. And actually, she explains that they were anything but. And uh, the subsequent breakdown of their friendship, which, you know, has been well documented in the press. But anyway, Denise gives us a great insight into her life through her bubbly and beautiful personality. So over to you, Denise, for your best bit. Yeah, I mean, it was, I laughed every day like we literally used to laugh to the point where I was going to wet myself <laughs> we just you know you have those mates don't yes. you sometimes where you just click yeah. and it was instant we yeah. just got on yeah um and it's really weird really because it's like we've never obviously then things happen and we've had fallouts along the way as people do which is really which, sad yeah and you clearly got on so yeah, well, so well. That people probably would be. Yeah, so there was that slight, like, which yeah. happens with in all workplaces, yeah. you know. Yeah. There's always someone, isn't it, that you've got a work buddy that you laugh with and yeah. you go home and you well, don't. I've just done this road trip with Gethin Jones, yeah. who loves you, by the way. Mm. I told him I was doing this. I love Gethin. And I laughed so much, and I didn't even know why I was laughing at, yeah. that, at one point. Now, obviously, very happily married, and actually I think he and my husband are more in love with each other mm. than I am with either of them because they're mm. both massive Welshies and love their rugby. But it's a lovely feeling giggling yeah. that much with someone, isn't oh, it? Oh, it's brilliant. Chemistry is a funny thing. Yeah. You never know when you're going to get it, who you're going to get it with. Exactly. But when it happens, yeah, it's great. So it is, and that was so. That was like he was my real buddy. I just adored him, and I still do. But we then things happen within the industry where. Obviously, then, once the show became really successful, um, we were in a position to negotiate our contract, and I thought we were doing it together as a team, but his agent had other ideas, and she mm. was obviously trying to negotiate that he got more money, and there was all those kind of arguments that happened with bands, presenters. I mean, in any... Bullshit, really. Yeah, it, it is, because at the end of the day, I just wanted... I wanted to know we were a little team, and it, that wasn't that was became apparent that we were no longer a team. Mm. Um, so that was one of the problems. And then I don't know. It just it, we never really got back on track, and it's weird because we we message on the odd occasion. Um, and I'm actually the thing is I'm quite I'm actually as much as I'm very confident person. I'm actually I'm confident but I'm very sensitive. So they're two very different things, you know. And I do take things to heart. Um, 
so sometimes when things are said or done it, it sits with me and perhaps mm. I should learn to let them go but I find it really hard but so how how do you feel about him now um oh I, I listen I'll always I love him to bits mm. but he also um I don't I we've sort of messaged that we should meet up we should meet up but I just think sometimes not to him in particular but sometimes with other male presenters um, when I do meet up with them or if uh, people in the industry their, their ego sort of takes over a little bit and yeah yeah or they don't want to have the conversation because they just brush it over and go oh let's forget about it move yeah. on it's like well you sort of do have to have a conversation but sometimes, to move on sometimes it's down to us girls to force the conversation I yeah and I've tried that's yeah. what I was saying yeah. I have tried yeah. but yeah. I think but you've also got to get to a point where you yeah, can't... You I can't, can't keep trying. Twist someone, yeah. No, and I'm just like... If, but you're in a great place. I mean, yeah. that, more of that... But I do love him to bits, so I'm yeah, not saying anything, no, you know, no, untoward no. about him as a person. That. It's totally just we... It, loads of things. And so much has changed yeah, now, you, you know? Yeah, you grow apart. Yeah, and like, I don't know his kids, and I don't know his... You know, we don't really know anything about each other anymore. Yeah. I think it's just... The nation yeah. just want you to be besties yeah. for life, don't they? I did always say it'd be quite funny if they did throw us in the jungle together. Then that would be. Quite would you ever do the jungle? Oh, I would. Yeah, I have been asked to do it before, only because I'm a real outdoorsy yeah. love. Like I go trekking and camping and do, and I would love it. But what about um, SAS? No, I wouldn't want to do that. Too hard. Yeah, and I don't particularly like being shouted at. <laughs> do you know yeah, what I, I mean? Do. I actually do. Oh, you dirty cow! <laughs> Now we know what you're like. <laughs> no, it's weird. No, I quite I like d- discipline. I, I do, like, but I just yeah. don't want... I just... I, I'm good, I will do it, but I want to do it when I want to do yeah. it. In the Pink is sponsored by Bose, who've been perfecting the art of sound so that you can listen in unrivaled comfort. The new Bose noise cancelling 700s take it to a whole other level. So you'll always hear exactly what you want no matter where you are. Also, be heard like never before with their unrivaled four-microphone system, which isolates your voice whilst cancelling the noise around you. Pretty cool, huh? Always stay connected with Bose's first-of-its-kind augmented reality function that will change the way you think about travel, exercise and learning. And never be caught out because they have an excellent 20 hours of battery life. They come in black and silver, so you can work them around your style, your little fashionistas. And you can treat your ears with the Bose Noise Cancelling 700s. It's a sound experience like no other. Right, next up on the best bits, David Yarrow, amazing photographer. And he's seen every part of the globe and captured it on camera. Uh, He talks to me about his views on climate change, which I think you'll find quite interesting. Uh, I... I, um... First and foremostly, I think we have to be careful that we do not uh, give an Armageddon scenario. And there are a lot of people that think that mainstream conservationists are daft. And they're, of course, they're not. And they probably just emotionally more aware and have a great, greater spirituality than people that don't think about the fact that we share the planet with other people. But it's not all... At doom and gloom, and uh, whilst um, Greta has done a fantastic job in terms of putting it on uh, the front lawn of every household in the UK and in, in, in the world in a way that adults didn't do, uh, the message maybe is too one-dimensional, and, it's, and the picture is more mixed than perhaps she portrayed it to be. And, there's not easy solutions to population growth. 
if you look at the, the risks that the world faces, the ones that I worry about least are, firstly, Minneapolis dentist shoots lion. It's barbaric. It's medieval. It's abhorrent. But it's legal in South Africa. At some stage it won't be, but it's not affecting the lion mm. population in the world. We might not like it. Yeah, we certainly don't like him. Yeah. But it's, it's not yeah, the issue. Okay. Secondly, uh, uh, poaching is uh, equally for either whether it's people snorting rhino horn in Vietnam or whether people using ivory is uh, for ornaments in the Filipino mm. church or in, in mainland China. It is shocking that that goes on and mm. that trade route is allowed to, get, to still happen. Mm. But both at the supply end and the demand end, progress is being made. I'm not saying that the end is in sight of poachers, but it's certainly ameliorating. That the, 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 I think the worst days are not necessarily emphatically behind us. I don't think it's getting any worse. Mm. There are but still, the message is getting through, yeah, do you feel? Yes, exactly. And, 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 and you know, whether it be... Um, Prince Harry, Prince William here, whether it be a, a huge work from NGOs or American money going into, uh, into Africa or organizations dealing with the um, demand end like Wild Aid in California with their marketing campaign, which is very persuasive. Things are um, not getting any worse. The big issues are uh, population growth and the corollary to that is global warming. Um, I do, I'm not an expert on global warming. Um, the only two things I would say on it are it's clearly been a very hot couple of years. Equally, last year was one of the coldest years in Siberia for a very long time, one of the coldest weeks in Chicago for 40 years. It, I'm not a doubter. Um, it's just less clear than population growth and of course the two are linked so it'd be rather silly for me to say that population growth and climate change are separate issues they're clearly linked yeah. but the population of Africa in percentage terms is going to grow an awful lot quicker than the average temperature in the world is in percentage terms they are one is dwarfed by the other yeah. what does that mean it means that the lion is far more vulnerable than the polar bear because people, where the polar bear lives, people aren't. People don't want to live. Actually, people are r moving mm -hmm. from where the polar bear mm -hmm. lives because there's no employment opportunities. So you're not going to see population growth in Nunavut, Canada. Uh, it's a, in one of the most sparsely populated. And you're, if you're ever flying to LA from the UK or Europe, and the first time you touch land on a clear, or see land on a clear day, and you look out the window in May, J May, April, May, June. I often, I do look out the window and you think, how can anyone possibly live down there? It, it looks cold and bleak and just thousands of miles of ice. So the polar bear's landscape might have altered a little bit, but the polar bear numbers are static and it would take an awful lot to dissuade me otherwise. And I speak to a lot of scientists um, in the four countries that look at polar bear numbers, which are America or five, America, Canada, Greenland, Denmark, Norway, and Russia. So Greenland and Denmark being one. Um, so they're kind of static at about 35,000, they reckon. Um, the lion is down to about 15,000, 16,000 because of population growth. Uh, it's nothing to do with global warming. It is just the population of Africa is growing. Mm. And it's growing 
at a rate far beyond anywhere else in the world. And you can look at your numbers for the next 20 years, but I think 80% of the world's population growth in the next 20 years will be in Africa. And it's difficult to know what, how to address that. You can't, mm. you can't get elected on the mandate of zero economic growth or one child per family. So the answers are not going to be uh, natural. They will be contrived answers, which is buying land and allowing the, the, those animals to like buy and live on that land that you've bought without human encroachment. From my perspective, um, I think we have two roles. Firstly, build awareness. If I if my show by having pictures that are close up, personal, so you can almost look into the soul mm-hmm. of the animal. I posted a picture on Instagram a couple of days ago, and someone turned. I talked about the soul, and someone replied. And I, I, I tried not to look too much at Instagram replies, but I, I, I saw this one, and someone said, "You idiot! Animals don't have souls." And I, and I thought, well, I've seen orangutans and elephants, and there isn't motion intelligent Absolutely. as we are. Um, so I, I, I struggle with that. I think he's probably shown he doesn't have a soul yeah. in that <laughs> Maybe. Uh. Um, So uh, we have a job to, to, to raise awareness. But to awareness to what end? Because if it is a population growth issue, what are we trying to educate individuals to do? Sure. I mean, that's a good point. Um, raising awareness does absolutely nothing. But if raising awareness leads to change in attitudes, which accelerates the growth of financing of uh, antidotes to it, then yeah. it has done something. Along with Bose, In the Pink is sponsored by Tag Heuer, Swiss avant-garde since 1860. Excellence, precision and elegance. Their timepieces are designed for those who love challenges, which is a great fit for this podcast because most of the guests share that sentiment. Okay, my next favourite bit of this series goes to the pocket rocket that is Amy Fuller, snowboarding sensation. And my favourite story from her podcast was about North Korea, would you believe it? Honestly, I didn't even know that you could go to North Korea, like, casually. Um, I mean, it wasn't really casual, I'm not going to lie. But for me, that was a an eye-opener in itself um and that all came about because if I was ever to run a marathon the year after the Olympics was the year Mm. and in 2018 I was standing on the London marathon finish line with Tag Heuer and I was like I'd much rather be running this and the marketing director said well yeah you can next year and then she messaged me in the November going okay so are you actually up for this and I was like let me speak to my mum, because I wanted to do it with my mum. My mum was like, give me a few days to decide. She was like, yep, I'm in. So we tackled it together, and it was always something that we had discussed that if we were to ever do it, we would do it together. That's so nice. Because we both like running, but, you know, yeah. casual runners, like mm. three, five miles, never never the 26.2 realm. <laughs> and I posted a story in January, after coming back from Japan, actually, Um, And I went for a run in Richmond Park, put it on my story on Instagram and said, I've just run 10 miles, covered in mud, soaking wet, and we got completely lost. And off the back of that, Leah Hervey, who used to work at Sky, now works for the Olympic Channel, um, saw that I was running London and she messaged me and said, 
hey, you don't fancy running another marathon, do you? And I was like, ha, no thanks. And she said, it's in North Korea. And I was like, tell me more. So I remember sitting in my flat with my mum, actually, having this obscure phone call. And it was like, so we're, we want you to front a documentary and it's going to be about a marathon in North Korea. There's a marathon, a half marathon, and a 10K. And my first question was, can I run, can I run the half? And she was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Six weeks later, <coughs> I was on a flight to Beijing, having to leave all of my electronics, my phone, any means of communication in China. And then I hopped on a Koiro Air flight, which is a one-star Russian, ex-Russian plane to North Korea. And it was, yeah, quite the experience. <laughs> so, so what was the point of the documentary? To sort of show how sport is universal and that even behind, you know, the, yeah. the, the walls... Um, are... So essentially, uh, we went into North Korea um, to peel back the layers behind their sporting system right. and to showcase how sport really is the universal mm. global language that can bring people together. When we were there, everything else was irrelevant because the sole focus was the sport and we connected with the people of North Korea through sport. And that opportunity in itself, whilst we were there, opened up so many doors because of the respect of the Olympic body. So we were there with the Olympic Channel creating a documentary around their sport and essentially how they are excelling. And to be honest, the marathon was just the icing on the cake yeah, yeah. at the end of it all. But we went to meet the gymnasts, the weightlifters, all of their top athletes, along with seeing some very, very strange things. I what? En route. <laughs> uh, so the first day... Um, we had to go. It was like they had set up like a guided tour and the first day was the food factory. And we're like, well, why would we go to the food factory? We're not here to see your food. And they're like, no, 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 you you have to come and see the food fa- food factory. So we went and we did this tour. If you imagine like some sort of archaic, icy, cold building, um, it was freezing with all of these little men, you know, on computer screens making um the food which the people there eat so um in particular one of the the items that they expressed of importance was french bread so sir kim himself had sent two of his people which is not normal out of the country to go and source a recipe for the best french bread so there we had the French bread. We had chewing what, like gum. A ba- like a baguette? Like a baguette, yeah. And, and, and they'd recreated the baguette? Yeah. Because they like, they'd heard that the French bread's the best in the world. Yeah, and, and it was like, we, we have the best bread. It's made here, and, and this is the best bread in the world. And they had various other things, but it got stranger. So as we walked around the factory, we went floor by floor up. We ended up on the top floor. So you imagine a factory, you know, industrial factory. You end up on the top floor and it's a swimming pool like a tropical oasis with security guards standing around this pool waterfalls but then on top of the factory is the olympic weightlifting team on their day off surrounded by security guards and there was a spread laid out for us it was beer chicken feet white bread cakes and sweets 
And that is what the athletes were eating on their day off. It was so surreal. And the gentleman who owns the factory wanted us to stay and have dinner with him. And I was like, no, no, I'm not. I want to go back to the hotel. I want to go back to the hotel. Um, so that, that was just one snippet of the randomness um, that we experienced. And it's all in the documentary. So where can we see the documentary? If you go online, it's literally Olympic Channel and it's called Running in North Korea. Wow. Yeah, so it's about to launch on YouTube as well. Right, now we have a chance to win and win big because you have the opportunity to walk away with a pair of Bose noise-cancelling headphones, the 700 series, worth around £350. All you have to do is rate, review and subscribe. Leave us a review on the In The Pink podcast, on Apple Podcasts and on our Instagram page. We will pick one. doesn't have to be sycophantic, but that always helps. Uh, Make us laugh. Give us some feedback on any of our guests and we will pick someone to walk away with those headphones. Any football fan who enjoys the game will know and love Lee Dixon. Let's hear from him on his aspirations to becoming a coach, a manager even, but also um, we all know and love his punditry. Uh, He's a great storyteller and he talks to me about... Arsene Wenger and the contrasting managerial styles between him and George Graham. How quickly did you bed in with that group of players? Because the defence Arsenal at that time stuff of legends. Um, I remember chatting to some of the my mates at work who were like, "Oh yeah, if Arsenal went one nil up, then that yeah. was it." Yeah. You know, because you're never going to get through that defence. Uh, how, how quickly did you surround yourself by these great names like Tony Adams, Martin Keown? Well, Winterburn, you obviously knew um, Steve Bald already yeah, because you'd, yeah. you'd come down with him, hadn't yeah. you? Yeah, well, he, he signed six months after me, but um, it was it was a, a very quick learning curve to actually bed into the way that Arsenal played at the time. And George was very strict. There was a, there was a way of playing. It was completely alien to me because I was a fullback that showed I was pretty quick, and as a fullback that showed a winger down the line. So that's why I was being educated, and then all of a sudden, George on the first day of training, it was at, it was at the indoor training centre at Highbury, and we're, it was freezing cold because I signed in the in the February, so it was like cold outside. We couldn't train because the pitches were frozen. Go inside, and we do this like little session, and they kept shouting, they kept shouting into me, in 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 his Scottish voice. I can I can I go to sleep sometimes at night having nightmares about him shouting at me still to this day because he was going, in, in, and I was going, in what? What you say? Why are you saying that? So I said to Dave Rowcastle, bless him, who again is not with us, and I said to him, what's he keep saying in for? What's that? Well, I don't know what that means. And he went, oh, it's inside. You have to get, you have to show everybody inside so you don't get beat down the outside. So me playing on the right, I could not let anyone go down the wing. I had to show him inside the middle of the pitch because that's how we played. It was where our strength was. Don't get beat on the on the out, outside. Show everybody inside. And I was like, and it was so alien to me to try and do that because it was just natural to go show him down the line. No, and he used to basically fine you if you got beat down the outside. He yeah. said, right, I'm going to fine. Do not let people get crosses in. You show them inside. You show them inside. In, in. It was like, and then he whacked you metaphorically whack you with a stick if you didn't do what he said. And that's his way of coaching. Mm. But his coaching sessions on the pitch was so intense and, and you had to pick it up quickly. It's a little bit like, and I'm married to 
a beautiful lady in my life now called Yolanda, who's, who's a dancer, and she can relate to that that picking up it's like picking up steps and I can't dance to save my life but you know a choreographer here's your steps and you have to learn it straight away and if you don't you're out and it was it was basically George Graham's choreography was show inside press the ball there was triggers to go and press the ball there was, you had to learn them it was a little bit like NFL playbook this is what happens when the ball's there you're there you do it's very regimented and if you didn't learn it you know there was, you, you, fortunately I'd you know Unlike my dancing, I'm quite quick at learning patterns on, on a football pitch, and I guess that's why I then go on to do what I do now, which is talking about those patterns and trying to ex, trying to not teach. I hate that word, like teach people. What yeah, but I, it is, it is type of teaching. But it's only it's only what I know, mm. so it's not gospel, and there's loads of different ways of doing it. And it's your interpretation of it, correct? But, yeah. yeah, but but it's like my the the ability to 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 show you or what I know that's in my head when I see a pattern I go I, well I would do this, this is what mm. I think you should do um, I had success doing it this way then if somebody understands that at home and a light bulb goes off and goes oh I get that now, why mm. that player might have mm. done that or something, I guess that's what I learned under George it was it was understanding them that 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 pattern on the pitch So, um, and, and the discipline that he brought presumably right. just like impose oh yeah you see you just, that that facial expression says it all because it's like you still remember that discipline even now yeah but it's it's, it's now ingrained in you because of it, see, it which, is, in, which is a good thing you know in, like yeah and patterns. it is ingrained and i i miss i miss a little bit that in my here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. In my life now, and I mean that because I was with him two weeks ago at the Tottenham game and we did a charity box, 15 people you know, paid money to charity to, to watch a game with me and George Graham and I hosted it and George was the, you know, the George was the jewel in the crown because I knew, even at, you know, he's 70 odd, even at now, he's so passionate about yeah. the game and he's, he, he recognises the game's moved on mm-hmm. 
and he's a bit old school, but the the game hasn't changed and it's about how many you put in one end and how many you keep out at the other. That'll never yeah. change. <laughs> yeah. and, and and until you do both reasonably well, you won't win anything. You can Man City are, are, are brilliant going forward, Liverpool are brilliant but going forward, but they still both know what to do without the ball. And his big thing was get that balance right. And he was a little bit more the defensive side, make sure you don't give anything away and then nick one at the other end, 1-0 to the Arsenal. Mm. Arsene is the flip, complete flip of that. He's attacking, great-looking football, brilliant, uh, open, freestyle, gunplay type. But he couldn't coach a back four as long as he's got two ears and a nose. So, but how difficult was that then for you to adjust to that? Style of management, easiest thing ever because he left you to your own devices. Yes, yeah, because when he, he he's a hugely intelligent man, Arsene, mm. and came in and went, "Why?" He knew he knew us anyway yeah. before. He, he he said he always tells a story. He says, "I knew you lot," you know, because he's a football nutcase. He watches mm. videos. He'll watch videos of Arsenal for years and years. So when he came from Grand Passe, he knew all about us. Mm. He was a little. He said to me, "I'm a bit surprised." that you're actually a better footballer than I thought. I thought you were just like, you know... Brit wall. Yeah, a load of grow bags at the back going, like, just winning the ball. I heard he actually said you're better looking in the flesh as well. Absolutely. I mean, your testament to that, I can see you looking at me now going, no, he's wrong. (laughs) I tell you what, though, growing up, I was bloody scared of the back four at Arsenal. Keown and Tony Adams, they were, yeah. scary, aren't they? Whoa! Whoa. Nigel Winterburn as well. Yeah! Not a looker. No! (laughs) <laughs> Another chance to win on In the Pink. Tag Hoyer are giving away four Premier League tickets of your choice for 2020. So all you need to do is rate, review, subscribe. Make sure that you review on Apple Podcasts and our Instagram page. We will pick a comment, a review, some feedback, and you could be walking away the proud owner of four Premier League tickets to a game of your choice. Happy days. Right, next up on In The Pink Best Bits, Lee McKenzie. A bit different, this podcast, because we just chat about what it's like to be in the F1 paddock, particularly about being a woman in what's really a male-dominated world. Um, I also enjoyed what she said about Michael Schumacher and how she really connected with him. So, um, yeah, enjoy Lee Mack's best bit. I'll start off with the good points. Okay. Um, I loved interviewing Michael Schumacher um, and I got on well with Michael I think and I took a horse over to oh, Switzerland to his ranch and take yeah. part in stuff and you know stayed over there and um, his kids and his wife and um, I, I liked Michael you know to interview because he was honest and he'd mm. come up with great lines like you know I think I've just made you famous and I'm like okay thank you for that when he answered something which then got Put, put in all the newspapers and all the rest of it and I was like uh, thank you yeah thanks for that but you probably also had that extra bond because of the horses yeah didn't you? I think so but I'm um, I think he was someone that didn't suffer fools gladly mm. and um I get the same I have the same with Sebastian mm. you know Sebastian and I have had some ridiculous interviews where he's like gone to give out my phone number on tv and everybody knows them there was a time where every interview I was doing with him was getting into the papers for probably all the wrong reasons um but I get on very well with Sebastian but I can be very honest um in a question with him because I know that he is actually clever enough to handle it Mm. you know I think I would ask the same question to every single driver differently because you know um 
you know how what Lewis would need in a question, you know what Daniel will need in a question, you know what Seb will need, for example, those mm. three. Um, so you would ask the same question, but in a different way for each driver. Mm. Some drivers, you might have to go in with a slight ego massage before you get to the hard one. Mm. But um, it, it's all about knowing who you're talking to. Mm. No, I totally agree. Um, the only thing I would, uh, as a sort of caveat for that, is that when the race has just finished and they're all piling into the pen yeah. and you're scrabbling around through your notes and trying to remember and actually you've got to if, if if the FOM director hasn't focused on a certain person's race and they walk towards you and stand in front of you thinking I haven't got yeah. an effing clue what's drivers, just happened in you your can't race say, you can't say to them actually uh, <laughs> we didn't see you at all no. In 72 laps, we haven't seen you once. Yeah. Must try harder. But you must, you've got to, got to go, so how would you sum up your race? Yeah, there's a, very lot, generic. there's a generic one. And then sometimes they say something like, well, it was, uh, you know, it was all going well till I got the puncture on lap 23 or, you know, I was hit by the Haas or something. I think we didn't see it. Yeah. You know, sometimes, you know, a perception of a race is actually a director's perception of a race mm. until you get like, you know, on the Monday afternoon replays suddenly pop up all over social media and then you ended up getting trolled because you didn't ask the right <laughs> question. Yeah, uh, but it's, it's, it is hot. I mean, you know, and, and Lewis can be the trickiest in this respect because on the one hand, sometimes he'll come in and he will be in that mood where whatever you say, he will say, nah. I disagree. And so sometimes you just want to go, come on, just just here's the microphone, you speak. But we are the we are the conduit for him to his fans. Yeah. So he you know, he knows that he needs us to speak to them and um we obviously need him because we need his interview because you know, particularly for the British audience, he's the most important driver. So what little tips, and I'm definitely going to write these down, do you have for interviewing Lewis? Because well, Lewis actually, I find him, I find him um, so warm sometimes and just yeah. so giving. And he wears his heart on his sleeve. And when he is grumpy and something does go wrong, he does get a lot of abuse on social media saying, come on, don't sulk. Um, mm. Because I never forget, in contrast to that, when Daniel crashed out of a race, I said to him, oh, you know, God, you must be pretty devastated by today he goes my bad day is still anyone else's great day and yeah. I thought how lovely you know what a, what an amazing sort of spin to put on a situation when it's just happened but Lewis you have to respect that he actually just tells you as it is and when he's pissed off he tells you yeah but I think uh, you know from when Lewis came into Formula One in 2008 was it 2008 2007 sorry Seven, yeah. um that to where he is now he is a completely different person. Mm. He's matured an awful lot. How he used to answer questions and what he went through, uh, say, 09 at McLaren when um, in the sort of, you know, the, the named lie gate and things like that. You know, he's been through an awful lot in his career. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's not all been a bed of roses. I did that interview, um, which ended up on the front page of every newspaper with Lewis in Monaco when he when I asked him about why he thought he was so magnetic to the stewards after one Monaco Grand Prix. And he said, maybe it's because I'm black. And I, it's not, I mean, that's a good example of um, Lewis fans absolutely hated me. I mean, I received death threats. And Formula One fans then hated Lewis because he was bringing the sport into disrepute and all the rest of it. Um, and... I sent an email to Anthony, his father, and, you know, to sort of just explain why I asked that question, mm. just in case Lewis, I didn't apologise for it, because that's my job. Mm. Uh, and then the next race was Canada, and everybody was filming me, 
as Lewis walked up to me, which was really bizarre. Uh, and then he just gave me a big hug and we cleared the air and we moved straight on. But, you know, I wouldn't do any of that differently. I would still ask him the question and then I would still keep going uh, and, and ask that question. And then it's up to a press officer or somebody to pull him out or for him to walk mm -hmm. away. So I wouldn't change that now. I mean, Lewis, I think, is actually fine. Sometimes you can interview him. And you'll be, you'll say, you know, it doesn't happen very often, but you know, you're third on the grid. I know you always want to be first, so you always give him that little thing. And then he'll be like, best lap I could ever have done. And you're like, what? Okay, that just blows you away. Um, and yet sometimes you can say to him like, you know, that you never suggest it was the perfect lap because the driver never has a perfect lap mm -hmm. in them, sort of, or they have the perfect lap in them, but they never achieve it. Um, and again, he doesn't suffer fools gladly either. But I do think how he interviews, I've, I've seen him with uh, how he speaks to the German press and other press, and he's certainly much more trusting with the Brits. OK, next up on In the Pink Best Bits, it's James Blunt. My favourite quote from this podcast was, posh people have feelings too, don't you know? And many of you picked up on that, which was great. Uh, James Blunt's Twitter bans is on another level and uh, he took a few established names in the music industry to task on social media. So that was probably my favourite bit of his podcast. I'm going to start with your tweets because anyone who's been living under a rock may not know that you are a prolific tweeter, but a very smart one as well. And funny enough, it's sort of social media in, in a strange way kind of brought you back into people's consciousness in you know obviously your music did a lot of that and more of that later but okay i'm just going to give you a flavor for anyone who hasn't uh, read james's tweets obviously follow him you ridiculous fools for not doing so earlier um James Blunt has an annoying face and a highly irritating voice. You retweeted that and said... I said, and no mortgage. Beautiful. And uh, why does James Blunt sing like his willy is being stood on? And you retweeted and said... Damn things, always getting caught under my feet. Beautiful. But my personal favourite, and I think you should read the whole thing. This genuinely brought a tear to my eye. You might not remember this verbatim, so I'm going to just bring it up on my phone for you. Um, it was when... Keith Flint died. Now, please read us that. Yeah, I mean, actually, I felt this, this is quite a sad tweet. It's not really a fun one in many ways. Um, and it brings back some sad memories, but some positive ones too. It's about Keith Flint. And, and I wrote um, at the time of his death saying, at the Q Awards years ago, when Noel Gallagher was saying he was leaving Ibiza because I'd moved there. And Damon Albin refused to be in the same picture as me, which is true. Um, and Paul Weller was saying he'd rather eat his own shit than work with me. Keith Flint came over, gave me a hug, and said how thrilled he was for my success. Keith, I only met you once, but I shed a tear at the news of your death. In our business, there are no prizes for being kind, but if there was, that Grammy would be yours. James also talks about the emotion that went into writing Monsters, that incredible song for his dad, who has a chronic illness, and it's effectively a eulogy for someone who's still living and it's amazing and I don't think I've ever listened to that song and not welled up so that was my other favourite bit of James Blunt's podcast. I came off um, an 18-month world tour um, in uh, the end of September 2018 and it was uh, round about that time that we realised my dad was unwell. He um, had stage four chronic kidney disease and so almost immediately I had stuff to write about. You know, this is a man who's been really fit, healthy in army, um, a uh, colonel, uh, a helicopter pilot in the army, and, and you know, was just an incredibly fit human being. And so 
immediately that tour finished, I went into the studio in October 2018. I locked myself away for you know almost a year and wrote songs for him. But also when I realized I don't have much time necessarily with him, limited time with him, I look around at my new family that I've just had, a tiny little family. Um, and me, uh, you know, if I'm on an 18 month tour, I'm on tours that are longer than they are old. Um, so not, not even knowing these people and meeting them. So realizing I have limited time with them and that's quite inspiring in itself to write mm. songs. I'm writing songs in case I shouldn't ever see them again and oh messages to them um, that, I, that I can only write to them in songs because I'm not seeing them face to face. And also, of course, there's someone at the heart of it who has to pick up all the pieces of that and that's my wife. So I, I've written a bunch of songs for her. So, um, specifically, uh, Monsters uh, is about your dad, isn't it? No matter how hard and or helpful was it to write that? It wasn't uh, hard to write because, um, because I didn't have to imagine it. Um, suddenly there is, you know, this man who's becoming more frail. Um, he'd tell me to piss off if he was here and say I'm fine. But, um, but he's, you know, when you see that and those chapters start to change um, in one's life and you see the circle of life play out in front of you, it's mm. really easy to write those kind of songs. If there was pressure, though, it was to make sure like I nailed it, you know, because you can't write five songs all, all touching on the subject. You, um, if you're going to play that song to your father at some stage, you need to get that one song and, and make it matter. And Monsters is that song. It's amazing, actually, because there, there's a line in the song, and forgive me if I get it, it's not quite verbatim, but it's 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 basically you're, you're almost talking to him as an equal rather than father and son. Exactly. You're two men standing in front of each other. Yeah, which and I so think. And the yeah. lyric says, "I'm I'm not your son. You're not my father. We're just two grown men saying goodbye. No need to forgive. No need to forget. I know your mistakes and you know mine." And uh, yeah, you know they're quite raw things to say. And when I first played it to him, I hoped he wasn't going to take it in the wrong way. But it's saying that you are more to me than um than my um father. You're my friend as well. I have to say that um, I listened to that last night when I was just thinking about talking to you and I thought a lot about my own dad and I just burst into tears. Uh, I feel like um, there's a real kind of vulnerability to our parents now, particularly as they're getting older and things are starting to go wrong for them physically. Um, you know, you talk about the circle of life and when you have kids, that just it's just sharpened in your own mind, isn't it? Yeah, entirely that. And they're kind of beautiful, they're chapters in, in a life, they're shifting mm. moments. You go from idolising a parent to being an equal and then you have to look after them in a way that they mm. looked after you. Yeah. Finally, on In The Big Best Bits, it's everybody's favourite tennis sensation. The pin-up girl, the poster girl of British tennis, Annabelle Croft. And... Uh, I particularly enjoyed her take on who we should look forward to seeing coming through the tennis ranks, some of the stars of the present and future. And then she gives a great tip on healthy living, the secret to healthy living. Uh, and she was inspired by Novak Djokovic, no less. So what is it? Well, better listen to find out. You know, when I see people with psoriasis, I have a, a great yeah. cameraman friend of mine that she has terrible psoriasis and he's always buying, um, you know, stuff in America when we're over there. And I'm always saying to him, oh, please try a, try a different approach. But I don't know whether he has or not. I'll have yeah. to ask him. But I did pass on one tip and I'll, I'll pass it on here because why not? Um, and it was Novak Djokovic, actually, who put up an Instagram post about celery juice. And I'd never heard about this celery juice phenomenon. And he was saying, this is my little secret. I'm going to let you into a secret. Um, the medical medium, this is somebody that I'd never heard of, uh, I think it helps him with all his health. And 
swears by drinking celery juice every morning. Anyway, I then click on medical medium and I thought I want to know more about this chap who helps Novak Djokovic. And the more I read about him and the more that you look at what he does with health, and it's all about natural health, it's quite, I mean, it's phenomenal how many people he helps. Millions and millions of people and hundreds of thousands will be going through his timeline saying how much this celery juice has helped them. Anyway, one of my children had the most horrific like cluster of warts on her elbow and it literally was disgusting and it looked like a looked like a cauliflower but yeah. with lots of like wow. you know different Just parts in one spot. on her left elbow it was How absolutely strange. horrific and we'd had it burnt off professionally and then it came back twice as big and then I went to a chinese um, medical place and they said oh you must never just chop these things off because it's a virus it sits mm. in your gut mm. and if you take off the top layer it's like the branches of a tree it will just grow through twice as big which is exactly what happened yeah and honestly she couldn't go out with it she had to put a plaster on it, it was embarrassing she looked Aww. like she had a deformed elbow anyway the more i read on this medical medium website i was also at the instagram page um I thought, well, actually what warts are is the HPV virus. Mm. So if any parents listening out there, I mean, even your own kids, mm. they may one day pick up warts at school or whatever. They're horrible. I had no idea they were the HPV virus. And she'd had it for eight years, this great big unsightly thing on her elbow. Anyway, I thought, you know what? Stuff it. I'm going to go and buy a masticating juicer. I bought a cheap one because I thought, well, who knows? It probably won't work, but I'll give it a go. And I went and bought bunch after bunch of celery <laughs> juicing it away in our kitchen and I never thought my daughter would drink it but you have to take it first thing in the morning right before you put anything else. anything else in your okay. stomach she drank 16 ounces of it every day within two to three weeks the thing her well it's completely gone and it's if I showed you the pictures you'd be quite shocked and I do show people a lot because they can't believe that what was there and now that it's completely wow. disappeared. And I'm like, well, this is really, it's a bit freaky because it was so enormous and very, very thick and very protruding, but it's completely gone. So I take out of that what you will. But if you look on his site, he will help acne, he'll help psoriasis, wow. eczema, lots of skin conditions, and then many other chronic ailments. So... I don't know. There's, some, there's something in celery anything, juice. Do you put anything else in it? You literally well, just... just bunches of it. I mean, my, I've left it out there. You'll see it in the kitchen today. My other daughter was drinking it this morning. But um, yeah, you just do a bunch of celery every day. But you, you can take it with other things. But but to, to attack uh, an ailment, you need to drink it pure. And it's something to do with the cluster salt that's in celery attacks the, um, the viruses that are sitting in the gut. And it pulls them all out. And it... Oh. I think it takes all the metals out of your system and all the toxins and everything. And I have to say, if you you drink it, you'll be needing to go to the loo pretty quickly. It flushes out your whole system. Yeah, It's amazing. amazing. Anyway, I thought I'd pass the tip on because there might be people that listen who have awful ailments and don't know what's going on with their body. Yeah, definitely. Because I think you definitely go through life just going, well, this is just what I've got. Do you know what I mean? You go, oh, I've always had backache. Or I've always, you know, suffered from headaches, whatever. You shouldn't have to put up with it. And no. actually, if you just maybe take a different approach rather yeah. than going well, to your GP. Really interesting. And, because, really well, interesting. When we finish this podcast, I'll show you the pictures and I think you'll be quite shocked. I will. <laughs> okay, so that's it for this podcast. In the pink, best bits of the series. If you disagree with any that we've chosen, please let us know. 
and you still got the chance to win those Bose noise cancelling headphones and Premier League tickets thanks to Tag Heuer. Thank you for your company. Thank you for your feedback. It's been brilliant. Really enjoyed it. See you soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.